Hello, folks. This is your host, Tammy Tucky, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney magic. Whether they be singers, actors, Imagineers, animators, they have all made their mark on the Disney name. Be sure to check out the show notes, other episodes, contests, our social media pages from Facebook to Twitter, and more on our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. All guest opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. And from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop de doo day. I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, director, and producer Greg Sherman to the show. Welcome, Greg. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. The last time you were on my original show, uh, Tierra Talk, we were talking about the famous documentary, The Boys, The Sherman Brothers Story, and I wanted to have you back on the show to talk a little bit about that today. How in the world did you pitch this to your dad, who was Richard Sherman, and how did Jeff pitch it to his dad, who was Robert Sherman, the late and great Robert Sherman, of course? Actually, I think Jeff and I did a call together to his dad because he was living in England. And we were both on the call together, and his dad seemed really, really excited about the idea. Uh, It was never to do a documentary. At first, it was just we wanted to find a way to do a narrative of their life story, like a biopic. And we were going to get some research done in how they became a partnership and how they survived as many years as they did writing music. So we just called uh, my uncle and said, we want to team up together to do to tell your story. And he was really delighted. And my dad, just anytime he gets to hear his own music, he's pretty happy. So uh, that was an easy sell. The, uh, my uncle was a little bit of a tougher one, but he was really excited to see me and Jeff working together. So, And you both discussed how you did not see each other in years, you and Jeff, uh, because you yes. both co-produced this and co-directed this with each other. So you hadn't seen each other since the premiere of Mary Poppins on Broadway in 2006. And this documentary came out in 2009. It was a couple years in the making, I, as, as all films usually are. It takes a while and some time. So you guys got to meet up at this Broadway show and you hadn't seen each other in years. What was like the first conversation like in, in over a couple decades? Well, let me uh, clarify a couple things. First, uh, Jeff and I didn't speak pretty much our entire childhood, I mean, decades worth of not talking to one another because our families were kept very separately. And it was really uh, the premiere of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in 2002 that Jeff and I ended up speaking to each other. And it was at that point, my uncle had moved to London and my dad and he were somewhat on less than perfect terms and weren't really talking very much to one another. And by 2006, when Jeff and I finally decided we would do this as a documentary, our dads hadn't spoken in, uh, since the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang premiere, so it had been over four years. Uh, so really, they hadn't seen each other in a number of years when Jeff and I decided to film the, their walking down the blue carpet of uh, the Mary Poppins premiere in uh, New York City. By the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang premiere, we were still pretty isolated. Jeff's family was seated on one side of the theater and ours were seated on the other side, which was par for the course and our growing up that way. Uh, It was Jeff and me that got together at the after party of the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang premiere and said, what happened? How did this really start where our 
families were so isolated from each other. And we came back to Los Angeles, because that was in London. Uh, we came back and started a dialogue with each other and decided we'd try and tell our dad's life story, because it was fascinating to us that they wrote all this incredible, indelible family music, but the whole time they had this rather uncomfortable relationship with one another. So to us, as storytellers, that made really an interesting uh, take on their song catalog, and as well, it gave an opportunity for us to uh, put, an op put the men with their music, which was really, first and foremost, what we wanted to do. A lot of people can sing their songs, but very few people, other than maybe your listeners, know that the Sherman Brothers would write that song, and we wanted to connect their name to their body of work. What was that like, just sifting through all this archive material, you know, from songs to footage? It was a, it was a blessing and a curse at the same time. And, and a curse, I only say mockingly, because... The blessing was because our dads were really beloved by the studio for the many, many years that they were there and the many years after they left, uh, everybody was willing to bend over backwards to supply us with more material than we could ever go through in, in any lifetime. So we were overwhelmed with uh, material to have to sift through in order to try and create a narrative that would last about 90 minutes for a documentary audience. And that was very difficult to uh, say goodbye to things that we really loved. And fortunately, uh, they were so generous to us after we had finished cutting the film and we had all these leftover bits and pieces, they gave us an opportunity to, uh, there's about an hour of bonus features that we were able to put together as a result uh, because there were a lot of good things that just didn't fit the storyline, the major storyline we had, but little tangential things that we thought uh, especially Disney fans would love. So there's about an hour's worth of bonus material now. Because, uh, as I said, it was, it was a bit of a curse to have that much material to go through. We have Julie Andrews coming on the screen to talk about working Mary Poppins, John Williams, and Haley Mills. There's so many people that came together to be a part of this documentary. I'm still in awe of how you put it together and, and, and signed on these people to, to participate uh, because everybody usually has a really busy schedule. I should know. I try to book interviews all the time. Was it as difficult as it looked? Well, yes, no question. Putting together something of that magnitude was difficult. The good news was we uh, were given, uh, a, you know, it's an interesting philosophy about art and, and songwriting or filmmaking or whatever it is that the great works of art are never finished. They're abandoned. And by that, I mean, we ran out of money. Otherwise, we would have waited around for all kinds of other interviews that we had lined up that had to be canceled. Uh, uh, Elton John was going to be in our film, but he got a kidney stone the day we flew out to Vegas to shoot him. Paul McCartney was going through a divorce and had agreed to be in our film, and we were in London ready to do it, but then all of a sudden he didn't want to do interviews while he was dealing with uh, his divorce. So we had some pretty wonderful uh, pieces that we would have held on to had we had the time and money to continue filming. But, uh, you know, some, at some point you have to call it quits, and we did. But uh, we were given a pretty good piece of time uh, over three years to find the right people and, and cut these things together. And we got very lucky in that our dads were so well-liked, not just by the people in the archives and the people that gave us uh, materials, but by the people that they worked with who were clamoring to be in the film. We did over uh, 90 interviews and only about 28 or 7, I think, made it in the final cut because there were so many people wanting to tell their uh, Sherman Brothers story. 
and there were just so many that could fit into the uh, actual film. Good golly. And you also got to meet Walt Disney at a point, correct? I did. And, and the cool thing about that, which kind of goes to who my dad is, uh, it was in 1966, and it was shortly before uh, Walt passed. And I was three years old, and I was in a little sailor outfit, and I got to meet uh, Uncle Walt and walk around the, par- the, the studio lot with him and, and, and go up to his office and go to my dad's office and uh, spend a little time with him. And when he passed away, which was maybe a few months after that, uh, my dad would consistently remind me, whether it was every week or every month, you remember that man, you remember holding his hand, you remember walking there, you remember sitting there, you remember, and, and he would pound that into my head. And to this day, I still have fuzzy yet real memories of that day and walking with him and, and holding his hand and everything else because my dad was adamant that that was an important person for me to have met. And, and I'll tell you, the great reward for me personally, and I can only really speak from my vantage point, uh, was getting to really know my uncle because we interviewed him eight times. But beyond just the interviews, I would go to dinner with him. I would spend you know, hours on end at his apartment just sitting and talking with him. And I really got to know him as an adult right before he passed, unfortunately. But I did get that, those memories. And those are the greatest things that I have as my takeaway from going through this gauntlet of, of difficulty. Uh, but I can tell you this from what I now, having reflected on their relationship and having seen it from the vantage point that I did, um, my uncle did understand my dad very well. And they were disparate personalities. They were very different personalities. And they used to call their process uh, uh, stereo- stereopic view of the world. In other words, they, they looked at the world from two different left channel, right channel, but they came to this wonderful mix in the middle, and their songs reflect that. And I think my uncle had a lot of depth in understanding my dad, but that didn't make him that much uh, more tolerant of my dad. My dad can be a, a difficult person. I know that firsthand. Uh, I don't think my dad quite had the same understanding of my uncle. He just assumed that everybody should think kind of the way he does, and when they don't, there would be friction. And as a result, I just think my uncle being more of an introvert, my dad being more of an extrovert, uh, it created tension in their relationship. And having to work together all the time, uh, you know, if you have a business partner and you're with that business partner for the intensive kind of hours you need for creativity, let alone just the hours you put in, yeah, you're probably not going to be hanging out with them on the weekends too. They happen to be brothers. So the fact that they just needed to go their own way on a personal level is somewhat understandable. Uh, But it got worse by dynamics that had other people involved as well. And they just didn't really see each other socially ever. In fact, I never set foot in my uncle's house. Jeff never set foot in in my house, and the same was pretty much true with the cousins. I mean, I, had ne- I never spoke one word to my uncle's wife, Joyce. I never had any conversation with her in my entire life. So uh, it was a very fractious situation. But through it, they love each other, and that poem shows it, and my dad loved my uncle. He was the little brother that always wanted uh, to, to get that love from his older brother, and my uncle was a little more begrudgingly like, all right, kid, do your thing, but just keep it, you know, tone it down. And, and my dad didn't know how to do anything other than be in high gear all the time. And that could be a little grating if you're not in high gear all the time. So 
there was friction because they were creative and they were collaborative and they both knew their best work was together. So the bottom line is they loved each other. There's no question. They just didn't like each other that much because they didn't see eye to eye philosophically on how to live life. And uh, that friction, as Jeff says in the film, is what brought that great body of work to life. Now, what is your favorite Sherman Brothers song? Oh, boy. Um, I guess I'm kind of a populist. I really love Feed the Birds. I think that uh, it gets to me when I hear it. Your Heart Will Lead You Home is a beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, he has a way from, uh, uh, my goodness, from Busker Alley, which is a, uh, as of yet, not produced uh, incredible score. That, uh, they had touring it with Tommy Toon about a decade ago, and Tommy Toon broke his foot right before it was going to go to Broadway. Uh, but the songs in that are incredible. There are songs in uh, Slipper in the Rose, a couple of those that are they're so good. There's a song, If an I Was God, from Tom Sawyer that I absolutely love, a, a little prayer philosophy of, of non-religious, but, but sort of believing in a bigger power kind of uh, song. They, they've written some incredibly powerful, yet not as well-known songs. Uh, Freedom, Roberta Flack sang an amazing song called Freedom for Huckleberry Finn, an adaptation they did in 1974, an incredible song. I, I could go on and on. There's just... Uh, some of them are off the beaten path a little bit. Uh, there's a song from Snoopy Come Home called It Changes that my dad basically had said he was channeling me as he thought of that because Charlie Brown was basically my age when Snoopy Come Home came out when I was that age. And so he was kind of thinking of what it was like for me at that age. And that song reflects how I was feeling in his mind anyway. And so that song has significance for me. Uh, there are so many. Honestly, I wasn't prepared for that question, but a flood just keeps coming out more and more. Walt saw something in my dad and uncle, that, that kind of magical quality they had about having a real understanding of the human condition and being able to have the talent to compose it musically and, and lyrically. And my dad just won't lose it. I just know so many people that are in their late 80s that don't have what my dad has, and I feel really blessed to... Uh, see how much he enjoys life. He really enjoys life. If you had gotten the chance to sit down with Walt himself for the documentary, what type of questions do you think you would have asked? Oh, I had lots of good ones, and I sort of quasi got to ask them pretty specifically to uh, Roy Disney, who obviously was there. He was, he's about, he was about my dad's age, uh, so he kind of lived it in my dad and uncle's uh, viewpoint because he was around for all of that and I got as close as I could get without not without speaking to, to Walt himself by just asking what it was he saw in them besides just being talented musicians because Walt had his own fractious relationship with his brother there's a legendary uh, time where he and his brother who shared an office didn't speak for years and sent notes through their secretaries so I, I would have wanted to ask him first and foremost you know, was there something in that friction that you got your best work from having this brother that you had a little bit of a, a friction with and you got all the things that you could want from that relationship uh, professionally? Did you see that in my dad and uncle? That would have been a question I definitely would have loved to have asked him. And now I want to end with three Disney questions I always ask my guests <laughs> on the show. I call them the Fab Three. And so I'll start with the Donald one, which is, 
as a young child, what Disney film was one of your favorites? Oh, I loved The Jungle Book as a kid. I thought it was just mysterious and interesting and had these highs and lows, and it didn't seem like childish. It seemed so adult to me. And for quite honest, and there were these fantastic sequences, and then it would get kind of mysterious. Uh, so that film always really did it for me. I loved The Jungle Book. Our goofy question, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm going to just go with Bert. He seems like a lot of fun. Bert from Mary Poppins. He would be a good guy to hang with. And our Mickey question, if I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? A dream is a wish your heart makes. Thank, Thank you so you much it. for coming on the show, Greg. It was a lot of fun, and I'm I'm excited to hear about your upcoming projects. <laughs> my pleasure, my pleasure. Hope to see you when you're out here. You must face the age of not believing, doubting everything you ever knew, until at last you start believing there's something wonderful in you. So there's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow Just a dream away Well, it sounds pretty good. In fact, that's just the right spirit.